you ready, Craig? Are you ready? I might be ready. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the third episode of Podcast Versus Everyone. Uh, this is Craig Powers of KookCenter.com, and with me is Jeff Neusser. And Jeff, uh, Stinger says what? 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 <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, yep, that's, uh, that, that is not the first time that I have made that joke uh, tonight. Uh, this is our third go-around uh, on the intro, <laughs> and that, that's how dedicated we are to our listeners. Uh, we want to get this right. Uh, well, so just imagine have... how bad the other two had to be for us to go ahead and go for this one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, just to add to the quality of this podcast, I noticed something. So um, when I made up the name, I kind of was trying to play on the Cougs versus everyone thing. But I realized they say Cougs versus everybody. So... Uh, we're just screwed up from the get-go right here, but I'm not changing the name. We're still podcast versus everyone. Um, it's, it's incredibly representative of the low quality our listeners can come to expect from us. Yes, exactly. So, uh, Jeff, uh, let's start out. Well, you, you're, you're probably still on your keto thing if you're holding that New Year's resolution still. Um, but what are you drinking or what have you been drinking? Yeah, so still on the keto thing, which uh, which is actually you know again going going pretty decently. Um, so, but I did take a break on Saturday to have some beer, and uh, and I had a Jackass IPA from Skookum. If you remember last week, um, I had another Crowler from Skookum, and I've also got a breakfast uh, breakfast barrel aged stout sitting in the fridge from them also. But I had gotten um, a Crowler of their Jackass IPA which is one of their year round offerings. And, you know, oddly I had actually never had it before, even though I've had a lot of their beer. And I think that's just because, you know, when a brewery does uh, a lot of, you know, experimental things, different things, it, you always want to try those sort of limited release experimental things. And it just never really had the jackass. And so, um, tried that and it was, it was really, really good. Um, you know, just a crisp, you know, light, um, you know, kind of West Coast style IPA, kind of the newer West Coast style IPA. Um, not as bitter on the back end as the one I had last week. Um, just a really, really solid beer. The kind of beer you would just, you know, crack open when you get home from work or something, you know, just to have something that, that tastes really nice and uh, and is, is actually pretty refreshing. So uh, to me, you know, it's kind of routine, right? So to me, this is like a Gardner Minshew, if we're on our Gardner, Gardner Minshew beer scale, it's kind of like a swing pass into the flat to Max Borgie where it looks sort of routine and just like, oh, we could do this a thousand times until Max Borgie makes three guys miss and then trucks another guy on his way to the end zone. Touchdown, Cougs. Touchdown, Cougs. Um, so, yeah, uh, not to make this a Skookum podcast, but it's interesting. We talked about Skookum last week because uh, and then I, I kind of detailed what they're about. I actually was able to uh, uh, go to a Skookum Brewers night at a local bar. Uh, this uh, last week, and I got to hang out with uh, the brewer, um, and uh, that was fun. We drank some some good beer. He uh, brought a couple special beers for us to drink, including his uh, Baronwood Barley Wine, which I'd highly recommend, especially if you've had it in past years. Ooh, Try this year's. Good. It's yeah, it's about uh, it's it's a little heftier and a little uh, thicker, um, more. And I, I was talking to him, and it's more of how he always intended the beer to be. So it's it's he's definitely taking it up a notch, and he actually 
gave me one of the bottles. <laughs> I, I, I have a couple now. Um, so yeah, it's, it was pretty tasty. Um, and yeah, it's always nice to see uh, Holliswood. He's a great brewer, great guy. Um, so highly recommend supporting that brewery all the time. But uh, maybe next week we'll talk about someone else. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got. Uh, I, I really do plan on drinking that uh, Dogfish Head Worldwide Stout on Sunday while I'm watching the Super Bowl. So I can definitely talk about that one. Well, yeah, excellent. You got to get nice and numb in in case something happens that you don't really particularly like. Um, yeah. I, I, that is a game that I don't. Like I kind of wish both teams could lose, but uh, can't can't end up that way. But um, but uh, for me uh, tonight, I'm drinking. Um, uh, there's a brewery in Tacoma, uh, which is easily one of my favorite breweries called Engine House Nine. If you follow yeah. the, the the Baxter beer videos that I do, I've definitely highlighted them before. Um, they're really just kind of a uh, kind of an under the radar brewery but every but they they make some of the best uh saisons wild ales fruited wild ales and even the their regular styles that you just get on draft at the brewery are are excellent uh, they're actually opening up a new tap room with a larger production facility um in, T- in tacoma's brewing district so um they're actually going to be able to make more of their good beer soon and not oh, brew that in is this, fantastic like, yeah they're not going to be brewing in this little uh tiny hole in an old uh engine house anymore uh, so some of the mystique is taken away but that that pub that they have will still uh be there and be serving their beer and all that so they'll have two locations now the other one will just have a tap room but anyways um so what i'm drinking from them tonight is genus rubus it is an american wild ale which was uh, it's a multi-barrel blend american wild ale brewed with blackberries and golden raspberries oh uh, it is pretty tasty. It's right along the line of a lot of these E9 sours. It's well balanced. It's not kicking you in the teeth with acidity. Uh, I usually get heartburn. I'm not getting heartburn from it right now. Maybe after I down the whole bottle, I will. But it's just a little bottle, so I think I'll be okay. But yeah, Genus Rubis. It's just it's excellent. Like uh, I know there's breweries around. Some of my favorite breweries around that will people will wait in line for a beer of this quality. And uh, uh, this one, you can just pick it up from uh, any of the beer shops around Tacoma still right now. So and, and it's been out for months and months and months. Um, and it's just an excellent beer. Um, so uh, on my Gardner Minshew scale, uh, what I was thinking about is so it's it's just it's 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 an essential beer for me, like Engine House and I. And I, I love having these amazing sours that I can just have access to and get and not have to wait in line. I'm really sick of doing that. I don't do that anymore. Uh, so, but they're, but they're still the same level of quality of those um, higher end sours that people chase. Um, but just easy. You just go grab them off the shelf, grab them out the cooler. It's so easy. Um, but so it's a little underappreciated, but essential. So um, I was thinking uh, uh, for, on a Gardner Minshew scale um, in the game against Oregon uh, on the final touchdown drive, there was this amazing catch um, from Travell Harris or Harold Travis, as uh, he was called uh, by Tim Brando. Um, and then and then there was the touchdown catch by Desmond Patton. But in between, there had to be a fourth down conversion, which was also caught by Harris. And that fourth down conversion was as important, essentially, as the touchdown because it wouldn't have happened. Um, so uh, th- this beer is as good as any of the 
you know, the great beers, they get more fanfare, but it, but it, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't get that fanfare as much. If you're watching highlights, you're probably going to see the, the touchdown and not the fourth down conversion. So this is that fourth down conversion. Um, it's just as important, just as awesome as those higher end beers, actually sometimes even more important. And, uh, it's super tasty and I love engine house nine and I will fanboy uh, for them and until the end of time. Um, so yeah, that's what we're drinking, or what Jeff was drinking, what I am drinking. Um, it's a little, you know, it is a wild ale, so I might um, sip on it a little slower. Um, but yeah, Their so, wild ales are fantastic. I yeah. love them. Yes, they're they're just on point. They have it dialed in at this point, where like everything they put out is. Um, I'll, I'll, a little tangent. I uh, they came out with a beer in early or probably late October. Uh, called Pasadena with Love, and it was a lemon lime uh, wild ale, and it was just fantastic. And I went and bought a bunch of them, like, and I was like, please, please go to the Rose Bowl because these beers will be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. So I just have this good beer with a name that makes me a little sad now. Um, maybe next year. Uh, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Uh, We're going to have a new quarterback with Gage Cabruga. <laughs> Gage Cabruga take us to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, so let's talk a little bit about our uh, a little about a gardener and about his uh, – his uh, left tackle, Andre Dillard, um, who just participated in the Senior Bowl. Um, yeah, there, there, I think there was some general positiveness, especially from Dillard. Like he, it seems like he really got, uh, he really helped himself this week. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, they always say, and I, I think it's kind of almost cliche at this point, but it's true, I guess, that, uh, you know, the practices are more important than the game. So, you know, the the scouts really pay attention to what you do during practice and. Um, you know, when all the draft guys start, uh, start saying, you know, this guy's really impressing, this guy's really impressing. One thing I know about a lot of those draft guys, particularly the ones who have their boots on the ground in, in Alabama, um, you know, they know that they know the scouts, the actual like NFL scouts. And they talk right. to those guys and they say, you know, like, Hey, who, imp- who's impressing you, who, whatever, you know, and obviously, you know, some misinformation, you know, t- teams, you know, they don't want a guy to team, other team draft their guy or whatever. But I mean, there's all right. that kind of stuff, but when a guy's name kind of comes up again and again and again, all of a sudden people start realizing, okay, like this guy is, that's how they start figuring out these mock drafts. They start slotting these guys based off of what they're hearing from scouts, you know? And so the fact that you're seeing more and more of these drafts pop up after this week with Dillard in the first round, like the mid to late first round. um, I mean, that just kind of tells you that that's, that means his name is popping up a lot and, and that's awesome for him, man, for a guy who, uh, who started out as a, whatever, 240, 200. I mean, by this, you know, in, in three more years, he's going to be like a 205 pound prospect, right? When he showed up to, to school, whatever, whatever it was, <laughs> 250, 240, 260, whatever it was, you know, to, to make himself into a, you know, 310 pound, you know, sleek, svelte behemoth, um, is, is, is really remarkable and impressive. And I think, you know, a super testament to, uh, you know, to Clay McGuire first and then to uh, to Mason Miller in, in his development. I think Leach also deserves um, some credit for the offensive line development. I don't, I don't think people, a lot of people know, don't know this, but, you know, Leach was an offensive line coach first before he was anything else. And, and he takes a ton of pride in the offensive line. And I think, you know, when people think way back to that first season when he marched the offensive line out uh, against Utah, 
if anybody remembers that, you know, and Elliot Bosch is sitting out there answering these questions. And, you know, I, I think that for him, you know, as much as they throw the ball around, um, he, you know, as much as anybody understands that it really starts up front on both sides of the ball. And, um, you know, so I think he deserves, you know, some credit also for Dillard's development and, and overseeing that. Cause I know he beyond the quarterbacks, I think he's the most hands-on with the offensive line. So. Um, yeah. And, uh, you get some dogs in there for the, uh, uh, the authentic podcast experience, but yeah, so I, I actually, this, this, uh, afternoon, uh, the Pac-12 network was playing, uh, the 2015 WSU UCLA game. And Dillard actually came in that game as a redshirt freshman, like halfway through because of injury. And uh, before that, like UCLA was kind of tearing tearing up the offensive line, and uh, Luke was getting hit a lot. Like Dillard actually held his own. He was only they hit they had him listed at 270 at that point, and he he was up against you know UCLA at that time had a pretty beasty front four, yeah, front front seven, and he was yep. he was holding his own like, and he was a redshirt freshman, so. You know, he's added those pounds because it was he always had that athleticism, but he added those pounds and and yeah, it was really cool to see him and it's awesome been awesome to see him like, you know, I've seen him eighteen, seventeen on the draft board. Um so you know, if if that happens, he's set up to have a legitimate career in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. And then um and then of course there was Gardner was there. The the game he the game numbers were awful. He was like one of eight for like five yards or something and Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, and uh, but uh, you know the game isn't like what like they say the scouts usually leave by the end of the game or before the game even starts. Um, I heard some some good things, some bad things about him. Um, kind of, the bad things you would kind of expect. It was like you know his tool set, you know his arm, uh, things like that, you know. But uh, he still, I, I think he impresses with his leadership ability and his, and his intelligence and his adaptability and all that. Yeah, and in a completely shocking turn of events, his team voted him captain for the game. <laughs> like, like if that was the most predictable thing ever, you know, that that, that would happen. I, you know, I think, again, you know, the, the buzz can kind of work both ways, right? You start, um, you know, you can start hearing that a guy is not what other people thought. And you, and you didn't really hear that. Any of the, you know, like you said, any of the negative stuff you heard about Minshew was generally um, stuff that people generally thought beforehand you know he doesn't, right. have a he doesn't have a cannon you know those kinds of things um but you didn't hear anything like wow the arm's a lot weaker than i thought or right. you know or boy his you take him out of the air raid and, and his accuracy really drops off I me mean, he didn't really hear any of that kind of stuff so you know I, I i'm encouraged for him that you know whatever people thought going in then um it was probably you know largely confirmed and um you know i don't know how high he could go I guess it would take some team probably thinking, you know, he's, he's such a tremendous leader mm -hmm. that he would be, he would be an asset. So, but you know, I mean, I don't know, I'm no draft expert, but I mean, to me, I mean, what do you think? Third round, fourth round kind of ceiling. Uh, oh, ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Ceiling. I, I, yeah. yeah. I could see him landing more around the sixth, seventh, but yeah. It, yeah. If someone wants to reach up and, you know, cause if you think about it, if you're reaching up for a backup quarterback, um, why not get a guy? Because they're like backup quarterbacks are a dime a dozen. Like it's they're everywhere, and uh, the, their skill sets are you know roughly similar. So each either you're going for a guy who's like super athletic and has an arm, but not you know maybe just kind of as a mess, and you're just hoping he kind of clicks for you, or maybe you get a guy like Gardner who's almost like an extra coach, and and having him in the film room and and having him on the sideline. 
you know, that 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 could be something that uh, appeals to someone. And, and obviously he's still a good quarterback. And and uh, uh, so so he could be a guy that still, you know, they believe they can put him in and he'll, you know, produce in some way. So uh, and obviously the, the, you know, the success of Jared Goff and and Patrick Mahomes and stuff, I think, helps him out because they traditional air raid quarterbacks who never took snaps under center in college. And, and, uh, I, you, you just don't hear about that concern anymore that like having yeah. that snaps under center concern, which is great. And I think it just depends on whether a team sees him as maybe a future starter. Like, I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, right. if you're, if they look at you and go, maybe, maybe a future starter, then you're talking third, fourth round, right? right. Beyond that, then you're talking, okay, maybe he'll be a nice backup and, you know, surprise somebody or something. And, and, you know, and I think to like, you know, Luke Falk, right? So Falk, Falk went in seventh round. Is that right? Yeah. Seventh, yeah. seventh round to Tennessee. Um, you know, and I just like, I, I have a hard time and I know that every draft is its own, you know, little unicorn or whatever. Like it's, it's its own thing. And um, you can't say, well, this guy went here this year. So that means this guy is going to go here the next year. It's obviously all dynamic, but, but I, I just kind of have a hard time believing scouts will look at Minshew and, and his tape and the things he was able to do and sort of say to themselves, yeah, I mean, he's basically Luke Falk. Like I just, and that's not yeah. to like totally rip on Falk, but I mean, we all know he did not have, you know, the greatest senior year that he really regressed as each year went on. Um, you know, if you're evaluating these guys, honestly, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see how Falk was a better pro prospect after his senior year than Minshew is right now. So you know, maybe it doesn't make a difference. Maybe he still ends up in that sixth, seventh round range, but I don't know. I just, I have a feeling some team is, is going to look at, you know, just the personality. They're going to do the interviews, you know, and they're just, somebody's going to fall for him really. I mean, they're just going to kind of go, okay, you know, maybe he's a maybe we think he's a sixth round talent, but you know, there's just something there and maybe he goes, you know, fifth round or something like that. So, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, Again, football is is coming along. We have guys that we can talk about in the draft, which you know, just that we have a guy talking about a first rounder. Like this is things that we have um, starting to get used to now. Like guys getting drafted every year. Um, on the flip side, again, it is time to talk about Cougar basketball. Oh. Uh, so um, it's, oh. we 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 talked about this last week, Jeff. We we made sure to record the podcast so that it comes before the basketball game. We didn't talk about the <laughs> we didn't talk about the basketball game. We didn't preview them at all. Um, and honestly, I don't intend to talk much about UCLA and USC very much tonight either. No. Uh, um, Should we talk about how we thought Ernie Kemp might have been fired? That's the most interesting thing. Yeah. So uh, what was, it? was that yesterday? That yeah. was yesterday. Yesterday. Was, so Monday. Uh, so Monday, depending on what day you're listening. Monday. Yeah. Monday. Uh, WSU sent out a little curious thing uh, about the uh, uh, the um, the weekly media call being delayed uh, or to like to a undetermined time and something like that. And so you know our you know our our ears perked up. Um, over on the Cook Center Slack, and uh, we were thinking, hey, maybe it happened. Like maybe maybe Chun figured it out, figured out the buyout. Maybe Ernie got sick of it. Uh, who knows? And so we're thinking maybe maybe this is it. But ultimately, not so much. 
Yeah, I mean, when that email came, because, you know, they send, so the um, the sports information person responsible for basketball sends this thing every week that says, you know, Ernie Kent's, pre, you know, weekly teleconference, news conference is on Monday at blank, blank, blank. And it says, you know, if you're going to, you can call in on the phone and, you know, talk to coach that way. And okay, so, so anyway, so it says all this stuff. Well, this week's comes out and says, you know, in big, like all caps letters, you know, News conference has been postponed indefinitely. No rescheduled date known yet. And I'm like, okay, like that's, that's odd. Like, and I know our <laughs> listeners probably don't know this, but that's weird. Like that, yeah. that generally doesn't happen. Usually it's like, you know, oh, you know, coaches traveling, he, he missed a plane, whatever. Um, we're going to do it on Tuesday at three o'clock or something. You know, it's usually what it says. You go, okay, whatever. So I saw this and I just thought, Oh, just like you said, like, maybe this is it. Maybe it actually happened. Like maybe, so I'm like, I'm like thinking, you know, we're, we're bouncing this around. Maybe it happened. I start going to Twitter. I'm looking like at the players feeds, trying to see, are they saying anything, you know, like, and then, and then finally I decide, you know what, if in case this is it, in case this is it, I'm going to write it right (laughs) now. It's just like during my lunch at school. And I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and write it. I'm just going to write, you know, 300 words. Ernie Kent's been fired. And I'm just going to like start writing, you know, what this would look like. And, you know, by the time I got done with it, I was just like, even if this doesn't happen, this has been like the most fun basketball thing I've written (laughs) in so long, you know. And look, I'm typically not a guy to dance on a guy's grave. I mean – you know, when it comes to his job. And, and I, I mean, I remember back when, when it was Ken Bone, like I was, I tried to be really like delicate with that. Cause I was like, you know, Bone, I think was a good guy. And I think he was a good coach. I think he had serious problems, especially at the end with um, acquiring talent. Mm-hmm. And, but, but, you know, he was a fundamentally decent dude and he wasn't, he wasn't breaking the bank with his salary. Like it was, it, you know, it was, I think he was making seven fifty or 800,000, something like that. You know, yeah. it's not like, I don't know. Like I just looked at it and went, you know, th- this guy is not, you know, becoming wealthy on the back of WSU. And, you know, I was sad that he didn't work out and all these things. So w- when he was going down, I just kind of took this idea, like, like, I'm just, I'm going to be very tactful about how I write about it. I'm not going to make it seem like I'm excited, even though I thought it was probably time to move on. Right now, though, no, no, no. I will dance on Ernie Kent's grave. I will 100%. I will celebrate. I will party. I will pop so many beers the day he finally gets fired because it is such a train wreck. And speaking of that train wreck, um, there was some quintessential Ernie Ball uh, Mm. this weekend. Yeah, Um, you know, we should probably define Ernie Ball because I think this is like a like a you and me thing, well, but like, I think sometimes fans don't really think about it this well, way. Is, is there any better way to define Ernie Ball than shooting 77% from the field and a half and only being up by four points? <laughs> that is quintessential Ernie Ball. That, that is, that, that was like, I, I, I was sad I couldn't watch it on, because I don't have ESPNU. I mean, not really, that's <laughs> but like, oh my gosh, like that, that's like, perfect like where your team is shooting lights out like 80 plus effective field goal percentage yeah and it's not like it was only twos i mean there was a bunch of threes mixed in there, there too. Was five, i think five five threes or so and they're yeah, like something five, like five, that. Or ten or like so they, they were like 80 almost 90 percent effective field goal percentage and and they're only up four because they're turning the ball over a bunch 
which has been a, a, a problem with past Ernie teams. And for some reason, this Ernie team is not in Pac-12 play sometimes, but like they've not turned the ball over quite as much. So it seems like maybe they put some emphasis on that this year. Uh, there are individuals who turn the ball over a lot, but, yes, uh, uh, but, but yeah, so they turn the ball over a ton. I think they had, they were at like 12 or so turnovers at halftime. Um, and, and, and they just didn't play a lick of, like, like they didn't play defense. You know, like there's, you know, they're, when you're up 77, you're shooting 77% from the field. And then later, you know, with about 10 minutes left, they were still hovering around, you know, 70% effective field goal percentage, 62% uh, true, uh, pure field goal percentage. They they still were, like, down by nine at that point. Like, <laughs> like what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, And so Ernie Ball is essentially valuing shooting over anything, which is fine. Like, you got to be able to shoot because, actually, there were some times in the Ken Bone era where they could not make a damn shot. There were some times in the Tony Bennett era where they could not make a damn shot. And so it's nice to have guys that can fill it up, but when you're not doing anything else, when you're not, when you're not playing defense, when you're not rebounding, and when you're not uh, taking care of the ball, it doesn't matter how well you're shooting if you're turning the ball over 33% of the time. Like, that doesn't matter. Yeah, and and you bring up a really good good point that I wrote about a couple of years ago, and this is also part of Ernie Ball. It's it really is just only shooting um, when it comes to point production, and I know that's what most people look at when they think of, you know, points. And again, like like we even kind of did it right. We were like, you shot seventy seven percent, you're only up by four points, you know. And it's like, you know, one of the things that um, you know we talk about with our advanced statistics, and, and again they're not really advanced. They're just percentages, you know, I mean, yeah. it's just taking, it's just a percentage. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that we know is that there's actually four factors that go into offense and defense. Shooting is obviously the biggest yep. and most prominent, but then you also have turnovers, offensive rebounding, and how often you go to the free throw line. And so these things also play in and they t- together, you know, people colloquially know them as the four factors, right? Well, Ernie, it's really all about shooting. They don't offensive rebound. Um, they did a really, really bad job in this game of taking care of the basketball. And it really just depends on, I think, which guy ends up, you know, holding the ball the most and which guys. Like, so when they start making guys create, that's when they get in the most trouble. So LB had a bunch of turnovers late. Right. Frank's had some turnovers late. Like, those are not the two guys you want handling the basketball. And yet, Oregon, I think, did a good job of forcing it that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you got these turnovers, and it's like, so all of a sudden, like, you you know, by the end of the game, you, you've, you've had overall, and I know the second half they didn't shoot, obviously, nearly as well. But overall, they had a good shooting game. Um, one of their better shooting games in Pac-12 play, and yet they only scored less than one point per possession and like an average offensive team in the pack 12 average, I say median offensive team um, scores at like a 1.06 point per possession clip. And so it's like, it's just, it, it's mind boggling because there's just this, this sense that, okay, all we need to do is shoot, you know? And it's like, that's not all you need to do. Um, John Gassaway came up with this idea of shot volume where he said, look, you know, we can we can kind of see how effective a team will be on offense by not just looking at their shooting, but also looking at how many offensive rebounds they get, which give them extra opportunities to shoot and how few turnovers they have, which also give them extra opportunities to shoot. So it's like 
you know, when you eliminate those two things, because WSU doesn't really do either of those two things well, um, you really limit the amount of points you can actually score. And that's how you have a team that can shoot pretty well. And Ernie's Ernie's had that most years, you know, teams that can shoot pretty well. And yet right. offenses that are like mediocre to bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how you end up with, you know, a sub 200 ranked Ken Palm. And I'm, I'm assuming in the NCAA's net rating, they're sub 200 as well. Like it, cause you can't have an elite offense and be that bad. Like, so they, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they still this year are a good shooting team overall, especially when, you know, when you factor in all the, the teams they played in the non-conference. Yeah. And, the, uh, so I'm looking at it right now. Their effective field goal percentage on offense for the season is 43rd in the country. Yeah. That's very good. And so if you're doing anything else on offense, like you, you should be a good offense, or at least a, right. at least a decent offense. But but the, we were talking about it's funny because there is one guy on the team who gets to the free throw line and maybe does a cup and maybe pulls down like a board once in a while and it's Marvin Cannon he's 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 kind of and and he's he's the least earning player like he shoots three like corner threes but that's pretty much it like he he gets to the line he draws fouls he gets in the lane. Goes for offensive rebounds, draws fouls, and he's a great free throw shooter, but he only plays 22 minutes a game. Yeah, I was gonna say that's probably why he only plays like 20 minutes a game because he doesn't do all the other stuff that Ernie doesn't value, you know, or that Ernie values. I mean, it's you know the stuff that he does. I really like him. Um, I yep. think he's you know he's got really got if he was you know getting any kind of coaching whatsoever, I think he could be a really good defender. Um, but you know, his, his ability to get to the free throw line is, is unlike anybody else on the team. And that, that by the way, is another one of those things that the team does not do well. They're ranked in the two hundreds nationally in, in the ratio of free throw attempts to field goal attempts. So, you know, I'm not sure why, and that's with Cannon being absolutely insane with the amount that he gets to the free throw line. So I don't know why he doesn't play more, but you know, he's a nice player. He's, he's very athletic and, um, I definitely would like to see more of him, particularly uh, for what he can bring defensively, just by being long and quick. Yeah, um, yeah, he he's uh he's he's one like positive spot. Obviously, Ellaby's a positive spot, and overall, and and uh, it's kind of a bummer because I, I I wish Frank's had you know a, a little bit more of a group around him, uh, so that you know he he I mean he's probably not meant to he's not meant to handle the ball and all that, but he's. He's got so many offensive weapons, and it's a bummer that you know uh, he just. Even though he's he's nice to watch, especially on offense, he just it's so hard to watch the games, and and it, and it's uh it's rough right now, and uh, you know it it doesn't look like it's headed towards getting any better. Um, UCLA and USC are not great teams, but um, neither are the Cougs. <laughs> Uh, and it's just looking like, looking like another, uh, couple losses. So, um, Jeff, at this point, uh, we'll say at this point, uh, what would you, what person, what percentage would you give the basketball team to finish with less than 11 wins? Ooh. Okay. So they're at eight right now. Right. And so obviously the football team won 11 games. Yeah. So I'm and, saying uh, less than, so 10 yeah. or so, so fewer than what the football team won. Yeah, sorry. Um, fewer, so, fewer, sorry, fewer. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. It's all right, no judgment here, even though you're talking to an so English can, teacher. 
So Ken Palm has their projected record. Uh, by the way, 29% chance to beat UCLA, 31% chance to beat USC. I feel like those are too high how they're Feels playing like now. It. Although Feels the like kids it. usually do love getting up to play you at UCLA. Um, they're both in the top 100 now, which is nice. You know, they got some top 100 teams going. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so Ken Palm has them at 11. So that's like the over-under is 11 wins, which is, of course – how many wins the football team had in 13 games, not 31. <laughs> right. I, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Like, well, you know, Ken Paul might suggest the the fact that he's projecting three more wins with the cumulative probabilities. So like the way these probabilities work, there's a percentage that you'll win each game. You add up all those percentages and basically for each 100% that that counts as one win. Right. So out of their final, whatever it is, 10 games here, 11 games, um, they are projected to win only one game, and that's Cal on the road. And it's and only, project, and and it's it's only like 52%. 52%. So that's a coin flip, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I'm looking, and then like the next highest game is maybe Utah the week before that, Colorado 33%. Like it is, every game is below 40%, except for that Cal game, which is just, ugh. I, you know, I say that they win two more games the rest of the way to finish with 10. I'm thinking they'll probably get Cal because Cal is just that bad. Um, and then I'm thinking maybe they get, uh, you know, Colorado or Utah um, at home the week before that. I don't think they'll. I don't think there's really anybody else they can get. Um, if they don't, I guess maybe they could get one of UCLA or USC. Both of those teams have been bad at times. Yeah. Um, UCLA is going to be f- at least fun because it's going to be like up and down the floor. Like, like you might hurt your neck watching that game. Um, they might, they really might play to 80 possessions. Like that might be insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, USC has, yeah, and which is really high like, for a projection. That, that's, that, that's the middle of the, you know, that 75 is because he's always pretty conservative. His numbers are conservative with those estimates. So 75 is pretty high. Yeah. So, that one, you know, could be, you know, especially if they get hot, you know, and then UCLA, you know, throws the ball away, running up and down, whatever. Um, USC is is obviously that's a team that's entirely capable of a stinker. So, yep. so I think maybe they get one of UCLA, USC, Colorado, Utah, which are all at home. And if you add up all those probabilities, they all add up to I don't know about 150 percent ish. Um, 140%. So, so you would think they would get one of those. So I, I think they get one of those. I think they get Cal. I think they finish with 10. What do you think? Yeah. I'm, um, you know, I, I, before this weekend, uh, I would have had a little higher hopes of it. Uh, but they were very, very bad against the Oregon schools. Like what? Cause I thought having Frank's back, they'd put it, well, it was the last three games, really Stanford, Oregon, Oregon state. Like, I thought with Frank's back, the Stanford game would be closer. I thought Oregon State, you know, the score ended up close, closer by the end. Like LB got real hot and kind of got a bunch of garbage points, like garbage time points, because um, that that game was in the you know 30s most of the time. Yeah, uh, and then and then uh, Oregon Oregon just. Uh, just they were outscored by 24 points in the second half, which is probably more indicative of their ability than the first half when they were shooting 77%. Yeah. Um, so that that was pretty, you know, discouraging to see 
uh, those last three performances. So I think before that, I probably would have been leaning, yeah, they'll get to 11. They'll tie it. But, yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same way, you know. It just seems like the Arizona Arizona State, UW, like uh, at Oregon, Oregon State, like there just seems like those aren't those aren't going to happen. And but you never know. Um, so I'm going to. So this is what I'm thinking. I think you're right. I think they'll get one of this four of UCLA, USC, Utah, Stanford. I think they'll beat Cal because uh, Ernie, he'll he has the coaching advantage in that one. And then. I think I'm feeling like think they, about what. By the way, think about what you just said. I know. <laughs> what did you just say, Craig? I, I think on Senior Weekend, uh, they pull out a win over Oregon State and get to 11, and then lose in the first round of the tournament, and then Pac-12 tournament, and then they end up at 11, and they, it's a push. Yeah, I could see that. If they here's here's kind of I like to think of doomsday scenarios too. If they don't get one of these two, UCLA, USC, um, then it's at Arizona State, at Arizona, home against Washington. They are not going to win any of those. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I mean, they could very well be staring at, you know, an eight-game losing streak when Colorado comes to town on February 20th. Um, And then also, what would that make it? Like eight, sorry, I'm doing the math, 14. They wouldn't be 14 losses in 15 games if that happens. Yep. So yeah, it I mm, <laughs> I hope I hope for the players' sake they figure out a way to get one of these two. Yeah, I feel like under Ernie they've always kind of right in a hot shooting night or something late in the season beaten a team they shouldn't have. So I'll just I'll just uh, say maybe that's going to happen again. Of course, they're the only team they should beat is Cal, but. You know, uh, you never know at home. That raucous 150-person crowd. <laughs> the zoo crew bringing the heat. Rattle the cage. Rattle the cage. All right, so that's enough about basketball, I think. Um, so this is, is it enough about basketball, though? Because this is basketball, too. Uh, yes. Well, that's enough about cougar basketball. So usually this is when we warn you to leave because uh, we're going to talk about politics. But this time it's kind of politics and sports because one of the most beloved sports owners in Seattle history is now running or possibly running. Maybe running. Maybe running for president. And, of course, he is not the one of the most beloved. Um, Howard Schultz, the very short-lived owner of the Seattle Supersonics, rest in peace, um, is now, he tweeted out, uh, I don't know, a few days ago, and he's just been all over the all over the medias since then, saying that he's considering running as a centrist independent, which is, which, which to me is the, uh, I'm a billionaire, so I don't really like, um, high mar- high tax rates, high marginal tax rates, and but I also I run Starbucks and we've done a lot of sort of uh, you know uh, socially uh, friendly things over the years that have made maybe the conservatives mad. So maybe the Republicans wouldn't uh, welcome him in open arms, but he does have a lot of maybe Republican economic policies. But really, what we know most about him is that he was just absolutely terrible 
at running the Sonics and was a little crying, whiny baby and basically ran them out of town because he was so bad. Yeah, I hate him. Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he stole my Sonics. Um, my, you know, I, I've told you this before. The Sonics were really my first love as a sports fan. Um, growing up, they were basketball was always my favorite sport, um, and, and they were just they were really really good when I was coming into you know in those kind of teenage years when you start coming into your own a little bit as a sports fan. Um, this, you know, the Sonics were really really good from the early to late '90s. So. Um, you know, the, the Sonics were always my first love and it, it completely crushed me when they left. And I always blamed Schultz. Um, you know, to this day, I still try not to <laughs> try not to buy anything at Starbucks if I can help it. Um, but, you know, it's yeah. You know, you mentioned kind of his uh, centrist, independent status, uh, you know, and I kind of read it the same way. I was more like, uh, you know, this is a, this is a guy who's a Republican who's cool with gay people and people of color. Like, that's kind of what, like, and abortion, I'm okay with abortion too. Like, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's what, um, you know, I, I guess, like you said, you know, a, a rich guy who, you know, wants to be fiscally conservative to protect his money. And, and I guess one of the things that I, I found sort of most hilarious is, you know, normally when um, someone declares a, a candidacy like this, um, it, usually the first people they can count on to get behind them are their are their community, their local people, right? right. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, you know, their city or their state, and everybody goes, yeah, he's one of us, and you know, we're totally behind this guy, even if maybe I don't totally agree with him, he's one of us. There was none of that. <laughs> like it was like everybody just went, we hate you though. <laughs> like like nobody in Seattle thought yeah, let's get behind this guy. Like literally all the sports fans went, you know, fuck you. And like everybody yeah. else went like, what? Oh, great. Just what we need. Another billionaire running the country like a business when a government's not a business. And it's like, like Seattle is just like, oh my gosh. I, you know, I think it's telling that, I mean, he's not in Seattle right now, right? Isn't he in New York or something? Yeah. Like I think he's been running the sort of like media gambit yeah. going on all sorts yeah. of talk show tv shows yeah i think i think that's pretty telling actually right <laughs> yeah he didn't he didn't show up on like the morning show in seattle or anything like you know king five or anything like to be like hey i'm running for president because they'd be like dude everyone hates you here why do you like because uh, here's the thing like how many people knew who howard schultz was before he bought the sonics like I don't think, and still, like, if people aren't familiar with the Sonics, like, I, I've noticed that a lot of people didn't know that name, like, uh, like who, how, people don't know who the CEO of Starbucks was necessarily, like, because it's, it's, it's not like a tech company where they're, like, this founder and, and like, they're, they're kind of this innovative driver and stuff. It's just the coffee company that you go to. Like, I couldn't tell you the CEO of McDonald's or the CEO of, I don't know, and any other similar type of place. And that's right. I just said Starbucks is the same as McDonald's. Um, it kind of is. Yeah. Kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So basically, you know, we, we have the explicit rating already. So fuck our Schultz. Like, Go fuck yep. yourself, man. Like, 100%. if you don't want to, like, right in the ear, like, right, right in the ear dude. You, you took away my songs, just like you, Jeff. The songs were my first love. My first sports love was Sean Kemp and Gary Payton throwing alley oops. Like, you know, one, like, 
the 96 final. Oh, my God. Not, not so much the 96 finals, but the 94 playoffs against uh, uh, Dikembe Mutombo is one of the most heartbreaking moments of my childhood. <laughs> like, um, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, and then when they traded Sean Kemp, like I had a Sean Kemp shrine in my freaking locker. Like that was like um, and, and it's just horrible. And uh, and I still have that. There's still such a connection to it of people you know in in our age range and so you still see so much sonics gear uh because i i think the kind of belief that they're coming back anytime soon has kind of been dampened but uh especially after the the sacramento thing but but yeah it's like i like you i don't i try i try to avoid buying starbucks honestly their coffee is just not good anyway like it's um i one of the best things was when we moved into our new house and previously like uh amanda would always buy uh like she would often just buy the starbucks coffee from the grocery store and that's what she'd make in the drip coffee maker and i would just always be uh, so every time it was my my job to go get the coffee i would buy like pizza or you know something else <laughs> uh you know so, like i would be like i don't care if it's three dollars more for this one you're getting this one <laughs> but uh but there's this there's this local coffee roaster right next to us valhalla and they are, they're delicious. Like, I'm not even a huge coffee drinker. And I just love their coffee. And basically what happened was one morning we were out of coffee. And, oh, no, we need coffee. They just have to walk a block down the street and, you know, pick up some coffee. You know, they, they grind it for you and everything. And then we have it. Amanda had that cup of coffee. Never went back. Never went back Never. to buy it from the grocery store. We're getting this, like, freshly roasted coffee from a place down the street. And that was, like thank god hallelujah like i don't like i just i mean craig you are you are a beverage evangelist i think that's actually what your life calling is that maybe you missed (laughs) just i mean i know you're really good at your job like there's no doubt about that but but like you are just a beverage evangelist you're like no this is better i promise you got to try it this is better you're gonna love it you know i think i think that's i think that's what you're actually really good at yeah i think that's typically an annoying quality and people around you (laughs) Try this beer. You're going to like it better. Or like, oh, you're, you're drinking that, huh? Yeah. I've tried so hard oh. to eliminate that out of my uh, <laughs> out of my daily. Like, oh, that's that's cool. Right? Somebody shows up to your house with some blue moon and you're like, okay, deep breath, deep breath. It's okay. Deep breath. And they're but like, I, but I swear to God, if he asks me for a lemon or an orange, I'm going to punch him. No, I'd be like, dump lemon juice in that. <laughs> Here, here's an orange. Put the whole thing in it. I'd try to be like, oh, you paid the same price as that for that as you could have just bought like any number of local craft beers. How many how many listeners did we just like offend and send away by ripping on Blue Moon? Uh, I don't know. Um, 16. 16. I guess you want an actual number. Is anyone is anyone super into Blue Moon anymore? Like, does that is that like a category that still exists? I remember when I remember when my girlfriend was like really into Blue Moon, but I I kind of shamed her out of it because I would she'd be like, "Can you give me a Blue Moon?" I'm like, "You can just buy a, a a craft beer at the same price," and she'd be like, "Fine." And then I gave her some like wit beers that are not Blue Moon, and then she realized that like. W- Blue Moon is is uh, owned by the Coors Company, and it literally like if if you have it next to like a better wit like Allagash wit or something, 
else. Their wits are not as common as they used to be, but so if you really desperately need one, fine, whatever. But it's a shitty one, um, and so uh, it literally tastes like it has this real Coors Light tinge to it. Yeah. So if you like, if you're drinking your Coors Light and you want something a little, a little meatier, I suppose you can jump up to Blue Moon. But um, there's just so many better wit beers out there, and so many better just beers to drink. Like and and so especially at that price point. Like, look, if you're buying Rainiers and PBRs and Bud Lights or whatever, I get it. Like, that's cheaper. Like, you you're not you're not gonna be like, oh, I want to spend twice as much on this six pack of beer. No, but if you're already buying like a beer that costs ten bucks for a six pack or nine, right. or whatever, just try something else, man. It's fine. It's what fun. I always try to do is like, and also so don't we, buy Starbucks. Fuck, fuck Howard yeah, Schultz. Screw that guy. And so it's like you know when we, uh, whenever we have people over here during the summertime for parties and stuff, I always try to keep my fridge stocked with the beer fridge stocked with like a whole bunch of different styles that are likely just a step up and better than like these styles that people would bring over like does that make sense so like yeah, like i'll have some of some pails that are like a, a step up i'll have some ipas maybe in some different styles that are a step up um you know I'll, so i'll just kind of have i'll try to have an, a, like a like a crux pills instead of like mm-hmm. you know whatever if somebody's like no i like my you know bud light it's like no here try this right so so that's what i try to do that way it's like it's like a non-offensive thing it's like oh what style do you like oh try one of these you know it's like right. like trying to like Something that's not like crazy, you know, overboard, you know, funky, weird. That's going to, you know, they're going to taste it and be like, what is this that you just gave me? You know, so. Yeah. Anyway, but hey, back to Howard Schultz. Um, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the things I find interesting is, is this debate over who he's going to pull votes from. Because uh, we know third party candidates are going to do that. Like, it, like if a third party candidate gets any serious run, um, that's going to happen. And, and oh, and by the way, before I say this is running as an independent is the most like chicken shit thing ever. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty exempt. It pretty much exemplifies, uh, Howard Schultz, right? Well, yeah, it, because even as an independent, like you, there's still a number of parties that you could probably align with. Even if you're like, like you're essentially running in libertarian platform. Bernie Sanders did it. I mean, Bernie Sanders did it, right. You know, he just, he aligns himself with the democratic caucus, even though, He's not really but, a Democrat, but, you know. But I, I mean, you but can I do, do this. Have, I, I do have some like, you know, we need a, a stronger third party. Um, That's absolutely but, true. But so, so I, you know, but at the same time, there are already established third parties that, like, like such as the Libertarian Party, where like he, his platform aligns with them, look quite nicely, but. Um, yeah. I honestly think he feels it's probably beneath him or something. Like he should just go the Ross Perot route and just make up his own party. Like like Ross Perot's the Reform Party, and like and he freaking pulled. He was in Texas though, so that and he people in Texas loved him. And people in Texas loved him. He pulled a ton of votes from Texas. I don't think he won Texas, but he was pretty close to winning Texas, or or like was you know as close as anyone's been in a long time. Um, it's funny when you look historically, there was mu- like up until Ross Perot, there was much stronger third party candidates. And now it's like not like if like, I think Gary Johnson got like seven percent or something. And that that was huge or or maybe seven percent in certain states, but maybe not. Well, seven also, overall. Ralph Nader back in 2000. 
Yeah, he got like four percent or something. Yeah. But that those are strong third just parties. Just enough, man. just yeah. enough to hand the yeah. election to George W. Bush. Yep, just enough. Um, just enough. Uh, and uh, I definitely, you know, I, 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 on the Gary Johnson thing, I don't, I don't think it was like there was definitely like there was both sides. Um, there was people voting like who would normally vote Democrat were like were voting for Gary Johnson. And I think there was people like never Trumpers on the Republican side who were voting Gary Johnson. So I don't think it was exactly like um, taking votes away, but I could see Howard John or Howard Johnson, Howard Schultz. <laughs> Hojo. Yeah. Where's Hojo? The, the third alive. baseman for the Mets or <laughs> the hotel chain, the hotel chain. Oh, no, I want the hotel chain to run. <laughs> to run <laughs> i believe corporations are do you have like corporate yeah, yeah the, so, the supreme court uh, said so why can't whatever why can't Ho- they run okay. for president yeah hojo for president you know who who doesn't love a, a smelly uh dingy apartment or a <laughs> hotel that you're staying in just because you had no other option uh, <laughs> right. and, and, and what better way to run as a platform look you have no other option that's yeah i mean that actually kind of sounds perfect but anyways, Howard Schultz, yeah, so he's uh, – I, I, do you think he's actually going to run? I don't. I don't because what's going to happen is this, and this is precisely why he's not aligning himself with a party, is you know, when you align yourself with a party, you now have to go through the primary process. And right. You've got to be – you're going to be examined. You're going to be vetted. You're going to be like, people are going to ask you, you know, what you think about things, and you actually have to have a coherent response. And it's just like, you know – it. I feel like this is a like a trial balloon, but like the worst trial balloon you've ever seen. Like it's, you know, it's like I'm floating the idea, but I really think I'm going to do it. I really kind of want to do it, but I'm floating the idea just so it looks like I'm floating the idea. I don't know. It just I, I you know, it, I, he's not going to make it. He's I, I just don't see it happening. Um, but, you know, the one thing that's kind of interesting about him, though, it, it, in just purely political terms is. If there ever was going to be a third party that, you know, could really start to peel off some Republicans, you know, really this would kind of be it. Right. Right. Because, you know, I hear, you know, I have, you know, friends who are who are conservative and, you know, and say things like I, you know, I believe in fiscal responsibility, but also social a social conscience or or something to that effect. And, um, you know, and, and because. You know, this, because of this two-party system, you know, you, you just have so many issues under these umbrellas, right? Like it's, it's these massive umbrellas of, of issues where maybe they don't always go together. I mean, we just had the women's march, right? right. And that was somewhat controversial, um, if, you know, while it was going on because you had these sort of competing ideas even just within, you know, the, the feminist movement. You know, because it just it covers so many different kinds of people. And so I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to see a third party ever getting real traction just because the two parties do anything they possibly can to prevent that from happening. Right. Uh, including, you know, rigging the primaries in states, not like rigging the outcome, but like making sure that it's a two party primary. Right. Um, a lot of those things are written into law. Like it, it is just so hard for a third party to get any kind of traction. And um, and, and I think really if it's ever going to happen, it, it has to happen. Um, it has to it has to start happening at much lower levels and has to come up through really, really probably decades 
um, you know, at, at least one decade, you know, where you got, you know, people running for city council as part of this party and people running for state legislatures as part of that party. And then then maybe you can start talking about, you know, federal elections, because otherwise it's it's just it's impractical. Um, and, and like I said, the, the two parties, you know, and honestly, you know, maybe we can get to a point where we can have four parties, you know, it's, I know that sounds weird to go from two to four, but that almost sort of balances it out a little bit. Right. If, if you get, you know, some sort of, you know, Republican and then whatever you want to call, you know, Howard Schultz, you know, let's just, you know, let's give it Ross Perot's name, the reform party. Right. So let's go, you know, Republican reform, democratic, and then democratic socialist or whatever they want to call, you know, that sort of farther left progressive wing. I think if you can kind of get to that, then maybe you're on to something, but as, as, as when you've only got three, it's going to pull probably more from one or the other, depending right. on, you know, the policies. And, and so, I don't know, I think there's a thirst for it, but man, I just, it's hard to see, it's hard to see a road to get there. Yeah. There, I mean, the, the parties are powerful, uh, um, you know, and, and, and they're set in stone like for the time being, but yeah, I think, I, I, I think like, uh, I think you'd find a lot of people in the U S would just love if there wasn't, it wasn't always just this, like, Oh, if I'm voting for the third party, I feel like I'm just kind of voted, right. throwing my vote away. Yep. Like, so you get this thing now that we have where, you know, I typically am voting to keep someone out of office than I am voting to elect someone to office. If you're, right. if you're really thinking about it, right. You're like, no, I don't want that person in office. Right. Like, and so I'm going to vote against them. Like, so that, that's how you go. You're like, Ugh. like you're kind of weighing it and you're just like, well, no, that, not that one. But yeah. So, and so you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe this third party candidate is, it'd be nice. They, they, they actually align more with some of my views. Uh, no, uh, if I vote for them, then, uh, like, I don't, you, you can vote your conscience and that's fine. But like, you know, at the end of the day, they're not getting elected. <laughs> right. Right. And that's where I think it's gonna, it's gonna just have to start much, much lower. And right kind of work its way up to where now I've said, you know, it's got to get to a point where it becomes legitimate enough that people think, you know, there's a real shot and it becomes, uh, you know, becomes somewhat competitive. Right. And on that note, um, I wanted to uh, sort of take us into uh, a world that is so far from what we were just talking about. Um, and this is our pop culture segment where uh, Jeff and I, use our extensive current hip pop culture knowledge to talk about what's happening. And so Jeff, what I wanted to talk about this week is reality TV. And I'm not talking about like singing shows or any of the stuff that's on like network television. I'm talking the, the bottom of the barrel, Bravo, uh, whatever else, TLC, whatever, um, either, it's a rich person or it's a super poor person or a person with some sort of uh, uh, a particular affliction or something. And then we're, we're having, so um, I know that your wife watches some reality TV. My girlfriend does, and I do watch some of it with her, you know, because I'm a supportive person, but uh, is there any particular show that you've noticed on your television that stands out to you? Oh my goodness. I've watched, I've watched a lot of these shows. Um, so are we going highlights or lowlights? Because there are some that, you know, that are okay. Uh, let, so give me your one that is just 
absolutely unbearable. And then give me your one that is like kind of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Um, Really? So I've got kind of two unbearables. Um, One would be Real Housewives Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Um, That's sort of like that's the unbearable one. Um, And and then the the companion to it is um, the other one that I end up watching because I also am a supportive partner um, is uh, Million Dollar Listing. And the Los Angeles one. Do you sense the theme here? Yes. Um, I, I tend to find people from Southern. Oh God, I'm going to offend somebody, but people from Southern California can be very douchey, yeah. particularly rich people from Southern California. And so, um, you know, it's like, I, you know, like people that, you know, they just live in this other, like this world that is just not even kind of sort of reality. And obviously there's people like that everywhere, but the, the fantasy land of Southern California is even just like another level, right? You know, the people that are running around right. buying you know, $10 million homes or whatever. Right. So, um, so, you know, that, that can be, that is, is sort of a, a major turnoff for me. And I have a really hard time watching those people bicker. Oh yeah. I'm so uh staying on along those uh those real housewives lines. So there's like a, a ton of them now. Um uh a lot of them are really grating to me. Um the New Jersey one, especially from a couple years ago, it's just absolutely unbearable. Like it was just like these people are so stupid and they're just yell at each other, Why do you like watching this? I can't stand it and honestly most of the like the the ones where it's like rich people in their 50s or whatever that are like acting like complete idiots is just a lot of it's just like this is really i don't see what's interesting i know why she watches them because it's like look at how terrible those people are and so like it's kind of this like makes you feel a little bit better about yourself but I have on that million dollar listing, I have I it's so I'll turn on the TV like maybe when I'm having lunch in the middle of the day and it'll be because it'll be on Bravo from the night before. And I've seen that they just play that constantly during the day. And I've seen that. And it's 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 a little bit addicting because like uh, on the New York one. Cause See, it's like, I like I like the New York one. OK, yeah, because that one's OK. Because, like, the characters are not so bad, and they're kind of, like, they're they're kind of a little bit self-deprecating. And, and, and also, once they start talking about this deal, and then you're kind of hooked in it. You're like, oh, shit, right. well, I got I to gotta see if they, right. if they complete the deal. But, yeah, I've watched the L.A. one a couple times. I was like, oh, these people are awful. Well, this like, is how douchey the people were in L.A. is they had to bring in a couple of British guys to, like, balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> like because the Southern California guys were so douchey. So anyway, so the one that I like, the one that I like, by the way, so I like, um, the British baking show. Like that one's fun because like everybody's nice to each other and they're just kind of like, you know, just a bunch of people making pastries and like, I don't know. I like, like contests where people are nice to each other and like each other. I I can, I can go for that kind of stuff. So the two I found that like kind of, that that line that I actually like I'll watch with her. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it with you. Um, is it's when it's younger people um being idiots and they're kinda poor and like 
So there's two shows. Um, they're basically the same show, just in different settings. One is called Vanderpump Rules, which is named after one of the... It's 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 a spinoff of one of the Real Housewives in, of either L.A., I think L.A. or Orange County. It is, yeah. It's the Orange County one. Yeah, yeah so... And, and it's her bars, and it's about the the people that work at her bars. I think at this point they don't actually work there because they make money from the show. But, but like it's it's really funny just to watch their like they're so dumb, and like they like their stupid relationship crap is hilarious, and they're all like terrible people, and and for some reason that's funny. And then there's the kind of the the, the show that's the simpler is the show called Below Deck. Where it's all these, um, it, it's about the, these people that run like basically these yachts for like people, like yacht tours for like people rent a yacht tour on the Mediterranean or in the Caribbean or wherever they they have. And it's so it's about the crew and it's like 10, 20 somethings just living on a yacht, like taking care of this yacht, excuse me, taking care of this yacht for for like months at a time and and they like live in these little bunks and it's hilarious because they just like get mad at each other and they and they they're fighting and they're having sex with each other and they're and they're just getting mad about all this petty shit and then you have these rich douches coming in like being super douchey and and then they get to make fun of the douchey people and for some reason it's like this is all right this is kind of funny and and so those two I can watch almost any of the Real Housewives ones. I just am like, I'll I'll sit there for five minutes and then I'll be like, oh my god, these people just yell at each other constantly, and it's so annoying. Yeah, like it's, they, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's all terrible. It's and and Amanda just watches so much of it, like so much of it. Like our DVR is just full of Papa. <laughs> like I. It, it's like it's Pac-12 and 60s from all the Cougar games of the past season, and then like Bravo, Bravo shows, and then like whatever the few network shows. By the watch. way, can we are we in agreement that the reunion shows are actually the worst? Oh, those are I can't watch those. Like even those are the, actually the worst. Like, yeah, those are so unbearable. Like I get really uncomfortable, and like and it just makes me uncomfortable. And 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 they're just it's just they're setting them up. Oh, so totally. like, they're like, oh, let's play this clip. Like, you oh, know, yeah. they've seen before because, you know, all these people are watching this show as soon yeah. as it airs. Let's see if we can create a fight. Right. Yeah. Now. And it's just <laughs> like, I think that like the the Baron over all of this, that Andy guy is like a genius. Oh, dude. Like he has made yeah. so much he's money. Made so much money with this. Like off this. And and. And he seems like a genuinely like pretty okay guy, and and because if you ever watched the show he did, the after show he does is pretty. I think funny. I think that's his I think that's his uh, his trick. Like it's yeah. the it's the you know the the best that you know it's like they say in in uh, the Usual Suspects you know the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. Yeah. Like you look at Andy and you're like, oh what a nice guy. He's always smiling and <laughs> he's pretty handsome. He's got you know salt and pepper hair. You know I mean he's you know, I mean, like, you know, he doesn't fight with anyone. And it's like behind the scenes, he's like, you know, ginning up all these like, you know, oh, WWE yeah. style, you know, showdowns complete with. Well, I mean, it's just such, it's it's crazy. There's such deference given to him, too. Oh, totally. Like, it's like they like he has such power over all these yep. people on his yep. show. 
Yeah. And it's it's just amazing to watch. Like he just like they they just like they they go to great pains to not offend him. Cuz like uh if if they ever say something and it seems like it might offend him, he get like it's like whoa and then like it's hilarious. And yeah. yeah, if you've ever watched like Amanda will watch will watch an after show and they do a little drinking game during it, which has actually got me to watch it. Yeah. But they always interview a lot of, like, celebrities, and they'll interview the people on the show, and he'll just make fun of them, like, the whole time. Like, he'll make fun of, like, the way they act and everything. Like, I think it's called Watch What's Happened Live. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's just, it's actually, a like, it's kind of like, um, uh, I remember we, but before Amanda actually started watching all these shows, the, how we would consume them was, watch, like, watch the old Soup show. Uh, the Joel McHale show, because yeah. he he would yep. make fun of all those, and then eventually you get this curiosity. It was like, does that stuff happen all the time on those shows? Right. Like, and no, they pull out all the funniest crap. But most of the other stuff is like just dribble. You have to. Oh, have you does has have you ever seen the Ninety Day Fiance show? No. Oh my God, this one is. There's been some like it's like it depends on the couple, but it can be pretty friggin' interesting because yeah. there's a there's like a, called a K1 visa where um, basically you can bring a prospective uh, husband or wife into the country and you have 90 days to decide whether or not you're going to marry them. So it's an actual legal thing. All right. That's an interesting. <laughs> and so so this show is about these people that do this K1 visa. Oh. And and so often it's just like a blatant like. And is it like mail like mail order stuff or is it? Like- uh, there's been some that seem like that. A lot of the times it's like, if it's the male, it's like a an older male going to some Asian or South American company or South American country and just like meeting a girl there on a trip. Yeah. And then. They decide to do the K-1 visa later, and, like, they're never as rich as the girl thinks they are, and, like, right. there was this one, there was this one where uh, it came back, and the guy was, like, totally broke, because he had to give the uh, girl, I think she was from Thailand, or, I, I don't want to get that wrong, Thailand, or one of the Southeast Asian, it was, she was from a Southeast Asian country. She essentially had to give her family, like it was like a tradition to give the family like a certain amount of like things or money, like to, to marry the bride. And he basically spent all of his savings doing that. So they get back and I felt so bad for this girl. Like, cause um, they were like moving into, they were like bouncing around, just finding a place to live, staying at his friend's house. And then they like, basically moved into this apartment, which was definitely just an old office because like, and she like loved cooking. It just had like an office kitchen and she like started crying. It's like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. And so there's some really like when they attack when they find a story that's interesting, they just kind of latch onto it. And it's like, it's trash TV. Cause it's like horrible. It's like you just to watch these things unfold. And then like, and you find out like during the, uh, the confessions at the end that, they even though none of them know each other, they all watch the show and they have opinions of each other. And some of them will fight on social media. They're like competitive. 
Like, and so you see all these couples that have been like fighting with each other the whole season, and then they band together with their, you know, partner, and then they like fight against the other ones. It's like this is insane. Like you guys hate each other the whole time. But yeah, there it's a it's a fascinating show. Um, it's really sad often because you're just like, who are these people and what are they doing? Like, yeah, like why are you doing this? Uh, there's very rare occurrences where it's like two people who are of similar age that seem like they legitimately fell in love or even like it's very rare that it seems like a legitimate like legitimately fell in love thing it seems more of a like well maybe we could make this work I, I want to live in the U.S. and you really want to have a, a, a spouse so let's let's see if it can work you know so uh, there's a and then there's some that are just straight up, like, phony, phony, phony. You know, like, just straight up just trying to get a visa and and then bolting. And, and uh, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, so 90 Day Fiance. I wouldn't say I recommend it, but... Uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't say I don't recommend but it. But it's fairly fascinating and it's i mean it's definitely high on the trashiness scale because uh it's you're just setting people up and hoping that they fail essentially because if it was just a show of everyone like being happy and it working out like uh, no one would watch it (laughs) that's right america america but anyway so yeah that's uh that's uh our take on reality tv uh probably more experts in that than any other pop culture thing but that's probably true true. uh but yeah so um jeff you told me earlier you had a great kid's story like well i don't know if it's i don't know if it's great but but it's it's a good story so this actually just happened today all right so um if you are listening to this and if you live in western washington you are likely aware that we are currently experiencing a measles outbreak um, that yes, that is the disease that was practically eradicated like 20 years ago and is now making a comeback because people, um, stupidly don't want to get vaccines. So we are in a situation now, see, my family is in kind of a weird spot because, um, some of the listeners might know this, but probably not all of them, um, might know that, uh, I have three boys and the middle one, um, was diagnosed with leukemia shortly before his third birthday. And so, um, he, he survived his treatment. That was, he finished treatment three years ago. He's nine years old now. Everything's great. But one of the things it did was it kind of put us behind on vaccinations because, um, not only could he not have the vast majority of vaccinations, but his brothers couldn't really have anything that was a live virus. So anyway, this this outbreak is going on, and I wasn't sure if if Tristan had everything that he needed, the two doses he needed, in order to um, you know continue to attend school. If this ever shows up in Pierce County, it's like kind of creeping northward, right? And so so I take him and his younger brother and me to the to the Kaiser Permanente clinic, and I'm like, hey, so um, so this is our situation. I just want to see you know if if any if if either of the boys need. Um, anything as far as, you know, measles vaccinations, make sure we're all, you know, kind of ready to go. And so they're like, okay, we'll have a seat and, and we'll check. So they start checking the records and start looking and, and eventually they, they call me back up and they go and, oh, and I've also forgot to say this. So knowing that we were heading over any parent who has children old enough to express their thoughts on shots 
kind of knows how children express their thoughts on shots. My children are especially emotive when it comes to this. Um, and so when I picked them up from school, I kind of pulled the car over and I said, listen, okay, I need to talk to you guys. So, and they're like, what dad? I said, okay. I said, it just, I, I need to explain something to you. I said, okay, so, so there's this disease and it's super dangerous. And in fact, it could kill you. And they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's really bad. Right. And I said, you know, the, there, there's one way to protect you from it. And then all of a sudden my youngest Atticus shouts out, are we getting shots? And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> You know, right? He's like, he like kids have like this sixth sense for 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 this for shots, right? Like if you go within a hundred yards of a doctor's office, they're like, are we getting shots? Are we getting shots? Right? And so, okay, so so I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, yes, yes, buddy, yes, you freaked out a little bit, buddy. And so he like, so so I'm trying to like immediately talk them down off the ledge. I'm like, okay, well, listen, like, yes. Yes, it, 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 but here's the thing. Um, the only way that we can protect you from this is with a shot. And I said, you know, and I'm sorry. And it sucks. And by this point they're wailing. Oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. We're getting a shot. Oh, we're getting a shot. Right. Like two of my kids, like nine and six, they're like, like bawling, like, so, you know, Atticus does this thing where he fake hyperventilates and he starts going <laughs> and you're just like, stop doing that. Like you're not actually hyperventilating. So anyway, okay. So, so I'm trying to like talk him down, talk him down, talk him down. Eventually I resort to every parent's best friend, which is bribery. Right. So I tell him, Hey, look, you know, you get the shot, you do it quietly, you'll get a toy. I said, I'll get you a cheap toy, okay? And 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 Tristan's already plotting. Can I get a Beyblade? I'm like, yes, I'll get you a Beyblade, right? It's okay. So so we do that, right? So we drive over to the clinic. I go up and I say, this is the deal. She says, let me check with the nurse, kind of see what we got going on. And so we sit down and the kids are, I'm still trying to calm the kids down, still trying to calm the kids down. And she comes over and says, and this is like the reception. She comes over and says, so the nurse looked at it and um, the kids are fine, but you need a booster. And I'm like, what the hell? How did this happen? Like, I bring my kids, bring my kids to get a shot. They're fine. I'm the one who needs the booster. And I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, well, we show your last booster in 1995. We don't show any record of immunizations. Before they said, yeah, probably, you know, my mom had the, you know, the paper copy that they used to do, right? I'm like, my mom had the paper copy, you know, and she's like, well, you know, it's been, you know, 20 whatever years. You know, if we just want to make sure, we'll we'll give you the booster today, and and you'll be good to go. You know, since you are a teacher, and you know potentially at a, a higher risk for exposure. And so we go up there, and the kids are kids are going, we don't have to get shots, we don't have to get shots. And I'm like, and I do, I have to. Get, so I went up there and and got my shot, and 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 I didn't even buy a toy. Oh man. I know. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny, like because uh, my daughter's so young, like getting a lot of shots uh and mm -hmm. when she didn't start reacting to them at all until like the last one she kind of did uh i think it was like I, I can't remember what months you get them or i think she was about eight months old uh she had to get shots and she also had to get a blood a blood test um and so we went in and she got shots three shots and she just didn't even like didn't even react like just looked at me didn't even say anything. I was like, okay. And so we go over to the blood test, and they're trying to like. At first, they try to find a vein in her in her, um, you know, in her elbow, and in in her elbow, and 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 they're just digging around, and she's just 
They they had some like frozen stuff up on the wall. She's not even. She's laughing. <laughs> I'm like, they're digging around, and, you, and then they go and they that doesn't work. So they stick it up in her foot to draw the blood. And she's like, what the heck, kid? Like I would be crying right now the way they were digging around. But then like now like her most recent one, she we got a little bit of a cry. Like like a like kind of like the how dare you? Like right. like like like. We, we betrayed her because <laughs> right. we're holding her down and talking to her. And then all of a sudden, yeah. like, and then she kind of, her face changes and then she cries about for about a second and then yeah. is like, hey, I'm over it. Um, but yeah, she's, she's in that nice time where she won't remember anything. Well, and hopefully she'll, by the time she gets to be my kid's age, hopefully she'll remember. See, like my kids, because of the cancer thing, like, oh, like yeah. they, they didn't get like acclimated to it when they were younger. Like, oh, this is what happens. You get shots. It's no big deal. Right. Instead, like we are starting to give them shots at like, you know, six years old or whatever. Yeah. Like, Wait a second. Like this has never happened before. You're going to stick that where, like, where they understand what well, is happening too. Exactly. Like, and, and the funny thing is with Tristan, I'm like, I'm like, bro, you had a you had a port in your chest. Like, yeah. like, like you were getting stabbed with all kinds of crazy shit for like, for like three years. And that little tiny needle is, is like causing you to anyway. So it's, yeah, it's, it's always an adventure. And, uh, they were, they were gleeful, gleeful when they realized dad was getting a shot and they were not. Yeah. I, I have gotten one recently because, uh, when B was born, they wanted us to get one. I, I was told to get one. So, um, I have had an MMR shot pretty recently. Um, but yeah, so yeah, shots, kids, yay. Um, yay. Um, I think you should all take your kids to get shots. Uh, yeah. Even if you don't have kids, you should take a kid to get shots just so you know what it's like. <laughs> I think, you know, it's like, you know, we joke about like, you know, and, and I'm sure you know this now at this point, but it's like, you know, I, my whole perspective on parents completely changed after I became one. Right? Oh, yeah. And then you're like all the stuff that you would sort of look down. Your, and, and I tried really hard not to be a judgmental yeah. person either. Like I was really like and I try to be that way with most things in my life, you know, not try to judge people. And, you know, it's kind of all this stuff. I think that's you know part of being a teacher. Right. And yeah. it's like it, but, you know, you can't look you, you cannot help it when you look at other parents and you just think, why is your kid doing blank? You know? And then like you, you know, like I, you know, I look, I would be the one that would be like, I can't believe that kid is on a phone at the restaurant. Right. And now like the moment we get to the restaurant, all five of us, I'm like, here's my phone. You know, (laughs) like, I'm like, just take it, be quiet. I'm going to talk to your mom for the first time in like a week, you know, and you guys just, you, you have a ball over there you just have to turn them off when the food comes okay yeah so anyway it's yeah well, that's, that's that's parenting in a nutshell we're, we're kind of at that now with uh with the pacifier like we know we should be weaning her off of it but like especially when you're out somewhere and she's getting a little fussy like it's really yeah. nice she just put the plug in oh yeah because it soothes her like it instantly calms her down and even makes her want to go to sleep and i don't like we're we'd like during the day it's hard for her to, to get her to take a nap until she has yeah. that in her mouth and like if we're in the car and we want her to take a nap while we're driving yeah. she she if she has that thing in her mouth she instantly puts her hand she does this thing where she puts her hand over her yeah. eye and that's why you know she's like okay i'm considering sleeping yeah like she instantly takes like the like does like this kind of like Vulcan mind meld around her head and was yeah. like, like, like she's like, I'm ready to sleep now. And, but now we're like, now I'm like terrified. I'm like, Oh God, when, when we have to take this thing away full time, like 
she's going to be so mad at us. Like, she's not, like, running around with it constantly. But she definitely likes it. Because if there's one sitting out, and she's to the point where she can just reach so many things now. And and so she'll you'll just turn and look at her, and she's got one in her mouth. Like, yeah. just, yeah, I like this. Especially so many now. Things, she, though, yeah. I mean, so many things, they just eventually decide they're done with it. You yeah. Know, like, they, one day she'll just kind of be like, nah. And, you know, it'll be done, and she'll be on to doing something else that'll be highly embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, and, and she's got molars coming in right now, so she can, whatever she needs to soothe that pain, she can do whatever she wants. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so uh, that's that's what's going on with our kids. Um, that's about going to take us to the end of this thing. Uh, I appreciate all y'all that came back. Um, a lot of... Yeah. We had quite a few that came back, and we also had quite a few people that found us and just went straight to listen to the first episode instead, which is cool. Yeah, uh, that is cool. Um, I've done that with podcasts before, uh, especially ones that are long like this one. <laughs> like, yeah, when, when I have time, I have time. Um, Some might say too long, but we don't care. But yeah, if so um, if you like it, even if you don't like it, give us five stars on whatever uh, thing you're listening to. And yeah. uh, but we don't really care. But I, I actually, truthfully, I care a little bit. Um, but yeah, but <laughs> give us five stars. Uh, you know, give us a thumbs up. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Then you you just get it automatically delivered to your device, which is uh, easier than going and finding it every week or going and finding on Kook. So you can go to Kook Center too. Give us a page view there. That's fine. Yeah. With um, one stone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, this is our livelihood, everyone. Not really. But um, but I do want to make uh, what we heard that Bill Simmons is making $15 million a year off his podcast. Uh, so, yeah, if we can get to that level, that would be great. You know, that'd be okay. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd be good with making $15 million. I'd probably quit teaching. I, I, I think I would not work other than doing this. I think we might even buy nicer equipment. We might. But unless maybe that would not. ruin the charm, I don't maybe know. I'd run. Maybe I'd run for president as a centrist independent. You definitely. I don't know. You need a billion for that, man. Come on, come on. Hey, who's to say what the podcasting industry turns into? <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, give us a like and subscribe and do all that stuff. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Craig Powers, and you can follow Coog Center at Coog Center. Uh, you can follow my Instagram and see what I'm drinking all the time at Craig W. Powers. Also, adorable pictures of my daughter. Um, I, there was one particularly good one this week that I think you'll like, um, but I'm not going to give it away. Uh, but yeah, um, also, uh, we have uh, that podcast versus everyone at gmail.com. Um, that's VS, uh, not versus spelled out. Um, send us questions. Uh, I'd love to make fun of you on air. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, thanks for listening. Um, and see you next week. Peace.